Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is Sam Dillon, your Tome Editor and the DM of the D&D Brief Podcast. D&D Brief is now going to be hosted on the Tome Show Network. To find back episodes, search under the Actual Play tab at thetomeshow.com. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to D&D Brief, episode number six. And uh, I'm going to give recap in a second. Um, before I give a recap, though, I'm going to I'm going to ask a question of each of my players. And so here's the question. And let's see. I'm going to do eeny, meeny, miny, mo. No, I'm not. I'm going to roll a die to see who I'm going to ask <laughs> first. Uh, so the die says four, which means David gets the question. David, what was the most important thing that happened last session? Um, I think most important, I think, was all of us kind of coming together in a combat, uh, you know, a hazardous combat environment and learning to work with, around, and for each other, um, because that's going to be a pretty critical point of coordination and cooperation for us all in the future. And it's certainly going to get more hazardous. So I think that, like, that's an important cooperative element for us to experience to kind of learn how to work together. Excellent. All right. Now I'll roll my trusty D3. And that is a two, which means that is going to be a question for Karu. Karu, what was the most important thing that happened last session? I'd agree. It was the combat of the last, the last combat we had. Um, I think the 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 fact that we're a basically ragtag group that kind of knows each other but not really uh combat seems to be one of the big uniters in terms of what can we all do to support each other when it comes to things getting dangerous and how well do we work as a team and all of that cuz even in character like our characters haven't really talked about, hey, I can do this, I can do that. So when it comes to combat, this was very, uh, everyone doing what they knew what to do best, basically, and it worked out. But um, it's always interesting in in character where uh, battle is something that requires strategy, but a lot of the times new groups just go into their first battle without even knowing what necessarily what the others do best. Yeah. And we're establishing norms too, because like, for example, it's just, as, it's as easy to get in each other's way as it is to help each other out. Like that, like yeah. the wind blast, right? that essentially, that could have been an obstacle for a lot of characters to have to overcome that now there's this force you have to contend with to be able to even get to the enemy and be able to attack efficiently or to render aid to somebody. So it was, I thought it was cool how we were all kind of like learning each other's capabilities and then learning how to work with and around each other's strengths so that we didn't create any bigger problems for each other. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I'd say the other, the the other very important thing was that I learned I can use uh, an octopus as a hat and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not just any octopus a very special octopus yeah <laughs> uh and nina what did what do you think was the most important thing that happened last session um 
I agree with most of what's been said. Um, in addition, I think just learning that, oh yeah, these people aren't gonna like up and ditch us. Like we, our characters have no idea who, like other than like Ash uniting everybody kind of in a way, like introducing and put, putting us all together, we really had no idea. So I think all of our characters were kind of like, okay, what's gonna happen? Um, and we all have like different motives, different things that's things that are driving us. And I think we all kind of realize like, oh, we're kind of on different paths, but we're all in the same boat, literally and figuratively. So I think that's kind of an important um, aspect of it as well. Okay. And last but not least, Matt, what do you think was the most important thing that happened last session? Uh, kind of piggybacking on what everybody else has been saying about, you know, functioning effectively in combat, being able to support each other and kind of play off each other's strengths, uh, and also getting some really important information and lore uh, out of that. I mean, it was the fact that the combat was meaningful in the sense that we we stopped potentially a dangerous ritual going on. Um, we left someone alive. Uh, we didn't just come in and, and wipe out everybody. And we got some really important information uh, afterwards uh, that can lead us to, kind of lead us in new directions going forward. Excellent. Okay. Well, now let's officially start the show. <laughs> uh, I will do a very, very brief recap. And the very brief recap sounds like this. Konos and Imran and Axley were on a small island standing in some ruins, and they had already combated some crabs, large ones. And they saw standing stones on the other island and decided they needed to check those out because they know that there is some kind of ritual, something happening, um, but it's probably going to be dangerous. So they sent Konos's familiar back to the ship to get Marcel, the Lutrinian, and tell them to come to the island. So Marcel arrived at the island, and the group converged on the Standing Stones and uh, proceeded to combat a group of uh, five crab, half-man, half-crab creatures, along with a couple of other large crabs again. Uh, and they ended with defeating all but, uh, killing all but one of those uh, crab-man, as Matt uh, mentioned earlier, was left alive. And so, therefore, the group could question said crab man, crab person. And uh, they got some information, and then they sent uh, Marcel and Konos back to... Oh, no. Who went back? No. Marcel and Imran went back to the ship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, took the crab man, who they learned his uh, name was Lucanius uh, in former life, apparently, and took him back to the ship with strict orders to not harm him, to feed him and give him some water. And then they made their way back to the island. And that is the point where we are at right now. Uh, just before they went and took Lucanius back to the boat, um, Axley discovered a trapdoor in the ground in the center of the Standing Stones. And opening up that trapdoor, Konos and Axley discovered a set of stairs at least 20 feet down into the ground. They descend at least 20 feet. It's dark beyond the stairs. So what would you like to do? 
so we were taking like a short rest essentially while we were waiting for Marcel and Emeryn to come back. Yeah, I mean, it took an hour, so you, I would say that Axley and Konos both qualify as having taken a short rest. Okay. Mm. Um, so during this time, um, Konos is going to... I, Axley, can I, borrow, can I see those tablets you've been holding on to for a little bit? I want to see if I can maybe make anything else out on them. Sure. Thank you. And I'm going to sit with these for a little bit, and I'm going to use. Um, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to cast detect magic and see if either the tablets or like the standing stones or anything else in this area that we're in kind of picks up uh, any kind of magical auras or magical vibes, uh, and see if there's anything that's kind of we can learn from that. Um, is the trap door still open, or did you guys close it while you were waiting? I think we left it open. Well, if we leave it open, then we have to be careful that something doesn't come out. We have to guard it. <laughs> oh, good point. Does it seem like the kind of thing that if we shut it, it'll be very easy again to just get open as needed? Yeah, I mean, it just seems like a kind of wooden trapdoor you can open and close. But I, oh. you know, it had soil on it and stuff, so it's pretty heavy. But I just need to know if you propped it open or closed it. I'd like to close it just so we'll have a warning if something from below tries to come out unexpectedly. Okay. Right. Um, okay, so it's closed. So, Konos, you cast Detect Magic on the tablets and Yeah, what just, else? just, 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 well, it's basically, it's like a, for, for me as a CL, it's like a, it's either 15 or 20 foot radius. It's a little shorter range than the normal spell. And it just kind of just pink, picks up anything kind of magical in the area that we're in. So he might be just kind of like studying the tablets for mm -hmm. a little bit, then pacing around the standing stones, uh, um, in that area and seeing kind of what's 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 being revealed, if anything. Okay. Um, nothing in that area is magical, not even the tablets. The tablets uh, are just natural coral tablets that have had things etched into them very carefully. They, okay. They're not emitting any kind of magical signature at all. So no magical signatures. Okay. Um, here you go, actually. I was thinking I might be able to pick something up off of this, uh, but it seems that these are just pieces of coral, but we should still keep them keep them safe. Okay, definitely. And were we able to find any additional pieces to that one that shattered, or we scoured the area and found what we could? You scoured the area. There are, you know, the one that the, that the crab caster had in his hand, uh, broke pretty well as much as it shattered. Um, and Konos had picked up everything he could possibly gather. The ones that you picked up that time, all you picked up everything you found as well. So you have, uh, you have two incomplete things. You have a tablet and a half, or a tablet and two-thirds, and there's about a third of your second tablet missing. And Konos's tablet is missing a half to a third of of it okay so we still have some pieces to fill in literally yeah yeah um then the second thing i'll do is i'm going to reach into my kind of fish through my pack um and i'm going to pull out very carefully a piece of kind of bluish green coral that i carry around with me and very carefully unwrap it and just kind of 
sit it down, set it down on the sand in front of me and just kind of pick it up and kind of focus on it and just kind of think to it. Is this an area you've seen before? Is this an, is this a place you know about? And I'm trying to essentially see if I get any kind of pinging or contacts from my patron. Um, the coral, as you're sort of holding it, it starts sweating. Mm. You know, water starts beating on the outer surface of it. And you're, you take that as a signal that, yes, this is a familiar, something in this area is familiar. Okay, thank you. I will carefully wrap it up and put it away. That was a very unique colored full piece of coral. Where does that come from? Oh, this. Um, I found this diving uh, diving and found it in a shipwreck about, I want to say about six or eight months ago. Well, that's and, very unique. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else the two of you would particularly like to do for that hour? No, just wait. Yeah, wait for the other two to come back. Okay. You want to roll me a couple of perception checks? Uh, five. Ten. Okay. You don't notice anything out of the ordinary. Time seems to be going very slow, but you feel like that just must be because you had such an exhausting, you know, three three to five minute battle where your adrenaline spiked and you were extremely active and now you've kind of settled back down and and you're still a little stressed, so you feel like there's this weird effect where maybe you're getting a little drowsy, is maybe time feels like it's passing slower, but you know, you know instinctively that really only an hour has passed, but it just feels different in the location where you're at. Uh, and uh, then Marcel and Emmerin return to the island, having delivered Lucanius to the ship. Well, our task is done. Let's... About time. I was getting excited waiting. Time is going so slowly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to open the hatch again and kind of peek down there and decide that I cannot see worth a crap. <laughs> So, someone with light. Actually, I have light. Um, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to hold on to my uh, medallion and cast light on it so that it reflects into okay. the space. Okay. Uh, there are, it looks like to be around 30 stairs. They are made of cut stone. Um, the stone is not any type of stone that is, at least you think, native to this island. In fact, that's the thing about those standing stones as well. Remember, the stones were were made of this weird cobalt blue stone with some white marble at the top. These stones of the steps are not that cobalt blue stone, but they are a dark, 
almost granite type stone that have been cut into pieces that have obviously been constructed, so they are sized. And the steps are wide and short, and there's 30 or 40 of them leading down directly into the ground. There are so many down there that you can't really see the bottom. You do see what you think is probably the landing at the bottom of the stairs, but it's hard to tell if your eyes are playing tricks on you or that really is the bottom of the stairway. The walls are smooth and they are also made of cut stone, granite blocks. Um, I'm going to peer down and go like, Ooh, we could use a bit more light and cast one dancing light at the bottom of the stairs. Okay. Just to give a bit more light down. It looks as though there is a passageway that leads off to the north. And it's probably 7 to 10 feet wide and 10 or 12 feet high. Well, doesn't seem like there's anything down there right now. Shall we see where this passage leads? Definitely. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, who is going down first, second, third, fourth, etc.? Are we trying to be stealthy? We should probably try to be as relatively quiet. quiet and I am not taking the lead. That's for you guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take the lead. <laughs> so uh, Emmerin is going first. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. I'll go second. So Emmerin and then Konos. I'll go third. And then Marcel. I'll take up the rear. And Axley. Okay. The rear can get dangerous too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like someone who's been playing for a long time. <laughs> Listen, I'm squishy. I don't want <laughs> a ghost to sneak up on me behind. <laughs> you get down to the foot of the stairs. What you see at the bottom is a hallway that, uh, as mentioned, is about 10 to 12 feet tall. All of this is constructed stone. So it's natural stone, but it's been cut into blocks and used to construct this entire structure. In other words, it's not a natural cavern that you're walking into. It is obviously something that was created by an intelligent being of some sort. The stairs go down about 30, 40 feet into the ground. You get to the bottom and there is a passageway that heads off directly to the north. And it's probably 20 or 30 feet down that passageway. And then that passageway has a large curtain covering the entryway into a large room that is roughly 60 feet by 60 feet. It's almost exactly square, except that the corners are rounded. So you lose, you know, seven to eight feet in each corner because they're completely rounded. And in the, uh, as as the hallway or the passageway meets the opening to the room, there's a large black, very thick curtain. So the curtain is blocking our view of the room beyond? The curtain is blocking the view. 
but you can easily sort of move it to the side. It's it's not even very. It's it's not um, it's almost like a blackout curtain that's not properly set up. So there's still light peeking through it, and you can easily just move it to the side. It's pretty old and dingy, and it's kind of moth-eaten and raggedy. So it's it's uh, it's letting a lot of light through, and the light that's being let through has a slightly blue tinge to it. I'm going to just kind of peek through, not really go into the room, just kind of look at it. Okay. You see that there are six pillars in the room forming a sort of passageway from where the entry, from where the, from where the passageway that you're leaving, from where that opens into the bigger room, there are six pillars and they lead if you were to walk in between the pillars, they would lead you directly into the center of the room. And when you look into the center of the room, what you see is a tall, thin, wooden pedestal. And above the wooden pedestal, about three or four inches from the top of the wooden pedestal, is what looks like a circular glass disc about one foot in diameter and it is slowly turning and emitting a bluish glow and that's all you see from peeking in does the disc look like it's set in any kind of mechanism or something holding it or is it just kind of turning in the air by itself it's turning in the air by itself suspended above the top of the pedestal well you don't see that every day yeah that's new (laughs) And definitely magical. I'm a little afraid to like walk into the room though. Is there like any indication that there are like traps around? You can search for some. <laughs> Great. Uh, I I guess the question is, um, you know, your so first first of all, the first two pillars in the line are directly next to the opening in the doorway. So you can probably search those and around those and around the framing of the opening without actually moving into the room. But to search anything else, you'll have to move into the room. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so you're going to give me an intelligence investigation check. Is the blue glow enough light that it's actually illuminating the room? Yes. Um, that is a seven. Okay. You don't find anything that is obviously a trap or that is, has the appearance of being dangerous. You also don't hear anything. Okay. Is there any writing anywhere in this chamber, like on the pillars or the, the, the thing where the disc is floating? Or the disc itself? There's no writing on the first two pillars. In order to see any of the walls close enough, you'll have to go into the room. The pillar, the pillar's very uh, thin and narrow, but it does have at the top of it a sort of flat pedestal portion that looks like it has some etchings on it, but you can't see them from where you are standing in the hallway. How tall are the pillars again? 
The pillars themselves go all the way up from floor to ceiling. The pedestal is only about, it's about four feet tall. And then the glass disc is sitting about four to six inches above it, floating in the air, uh, spinning around. And it's about a foot wide in diameter. Okay. I'm going to walk up to, I guess, kind of like the base of the pedestal. I'm not going to touch anything. I'm just going to maybe walk about five feet away from the, the pedestal and where the disc is. See it and kind of look closer at it. I'll walk behind and kind of scan around and keep an eye on things. Okay. Um, if both of you want to give me some wisdom perception checks. Three. That is uh, 13. Okay. Um, Imarin notices that uh, there is writing all over the wall that is to your left. So that would be in the Easter, or sorry, the westerly direction. That entire wall, when the when the circular piece of glass, sort of as it's spinning, anytime it ends up shining on directly onto a portion of that wall, you see writing, and it's it's etched in, so it's it's chiseled into the stone. There's no writing on the north wall or the west wall, so no writing in front of you on the wall or to your right. Uh, and Konos sees that there is something written on the top of the pedestal, but he did not get close enough to actually read the writing. I'm going to veer off to the left then, kind of hold up my uh, symbol and illuminate the wall so I can get a little better look at the writing. Okay. I'll follow Okay. The writing is, if you, if you were to look on, I'm going to put it in front of the camera in a second, but if you were to look on page 124 of the player's handbook, you'll see that there is a sampling of draconic script. So you could see how that shows. It's sort of uh, swoopy and spiky and um, that is the script that it looks like the wall is written in. You recognize a regular pattern to it, so it appears, and I'm going to send you guys something through Discord right now as well, it appears that it's not gibberish, it has a regular pattern, so it, it looks like it's probably actual writing. And you said it's not recognizable as elvish or dwarvish? It is. It is not. Dwarvish looks a lot more uh, blocky. Yeah, Dwarvish uh, is blocky. This is, it looks to you like a mix between Draconic and something else. The rounded the rounded walls are somewhat worrisome. You don't do that in a room. You don't put all that extra effort into it unless it fulfills some kind of function. So this is a very unique room with a purpose. It's a lot more difficult to make a rounded room than it is to just make it as straight as possible. And it seems like just a rounded surface is indicative of something flowing across it, right? Whether it be energy or liquid or something, there's a, it serves a purpose purpose to channel something. Can, can, can anybody read what's on the wall? 
just like asking everybody. Um, Axley, did Axley ever enter the room? Yeah, he followed. Yeah, he was following. Okay. If you happen to look over, I mean, you probably will happen to look over when Emerin is shining a light on the wall, and you recognize that this script is the same type of script as what was written on the ship that was all smudged and messed up that you had to comprehend languages on. Wow. Excellent. Wow, it looks like we have a more intact specimen for me to weave my magical gaze of comprehension. I'll cast Comprehend Languages. Okay. I'm going to upload you two files to Discord, and I'm going to read it to you, but I'm uploading it so that you guys can uh, can actually see it and either read along or whatnot. But I want the, I need the audience to also understand uh, what is being said. Um, the first thing that you notice is that that language, now that you've cast Comprehend Languages, that language is deep speech. And the interesting thing is that it's written in deep speech script that is the, it's uses it's using the letter designations of deep speech but the actual language that is being used is dwarvish so here's the thing it's going to take a while to translate this so actually are you going to read it off or are you going to write it down or how, what are you how are you going about this process <laughs> Yeah, we definitely want to transcribe it, but I think I'm going to just like very quickly just see what it what it alludes to because I want to make sure I'm scan it for any signs of danger or maybe it's a, you know a warning or something. But as long as I know that it's safe and I have the time, then I'll transcribe it. Okay, are you going to read it out loud or just to yourself? I'll read it out loud. Okay, as I quickly scan. Okay, here here is what Axley reads to you. This is the true path to the one true way. 6174, through the brimstone, through the fire, 1358, through the glacier, through the ice, 2689, through the dirt, through the stone, 1569, through the still, through the gale, 1346, eight shards to make the path, 2468, four shards to activate, 1278, two shards to summon thrice, one six seven nine, one shard to concentrate three five seven nine. The amethyst is the master, and then an enormous string of numbers one three five eight eight five three one one three seven seven. They're all in groups of four. There's a whole bunch of them. I'm not going to read them all. The next line says Shamasa Hasit, Shamasa Hasit, Shamasa Hasit, Shamasa Hasit. I'm going to say, as soon as he starts repeating that line, I'm like, <laughs> does anyone else think it's a bad idea that he's reading something that might be like a summoning thing? <laughs> like, just cut him off right there. <laughs> yeah, our crab friend was saying something about Shamasa, wasn't he? Yeah, he, you were he talking to him? said. Shamasa, bring us your bounty. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the stuff on the on the ship also spoke of Shamasa and the bounty. So um, maybe transcribe, but don't say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll write it down. <laughs> okay. 
Let me read the rest of it for the benefit of the audience, uh, uh, <laughs> minus the, the long strings of numbers. Um, <laughs> after Shamasa Hasid, it says Stone Road to Long Walk, and then a string of numbers. Then it repeats Shamasa Hasid several times. Then it says Chamber of Eyes, then a string of numbers. Then it repeats Shamasa Hasid several times. Then it's a humongous string of numbers, repeats Shamasa Hasid. Then it says Well of Hasid, and it repeats a long string of numbers. And then it has a shorter string of numbers, and it says Vade Mikam Omnia. And then it says Shamasa Hasid several times, and it ends with 6174, which is the same number that was the first number. Yeah, the fact that there's Latin in this makes me, it definitely makes me suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) All the number uh, groups also finish in 6174. Yes. The Latin, by the way, that Latin, because because Axley actually did comprehend languages, that Latin, vade mecum omnia, means go with me all. Wow, this is a bit cryptic. So that's what's etched all over the walls. Um, I will also remind you that uh, the etchings outside, there were two of them that Imran uh, read last time uh, on, the st- on the stone standing stones. Uh, one of them said, speak the phrase and the lens will open. And one of them said, from nothing we come and to nothing we go. Sorry, what was the first one? The first one said, speak the phrase and the lens will open. That was what was written on the white marble part and then etched into the actual cobalt stuff. It said, from nothing we come and to nothing we go. Well, this spinning disc certainly could be the lens it's talking about. Like looking at it up close, walking up to, but not getting on the platform itself. Can mm-hmm. Is there any detail on the, on the uh, spinning disc? It is. It appears to be made of glass. It is suspended four to six inches above the top of the pedestal. You can't see anything suspending it in terms of, you know, chains or lines or anything like that. When you, it's spinning, and it's spinning slowly, so it's slow enough that you can actually sort of uh, look at it. It is a... Um, it is... Let me see what details I can give you. How about roll me a wisdom perception check? And that's going to be 13. Okay. Um, It is concave. Um, So it's, it's curved inward. So I guess it depends on which way, which direction you're looking at it from. On one side, you'll see it curved in. That would be the, the concave side. And the other side, as it spins around, is convex because it's spinning. It's uh, yeah. bulging out. How, how exactly is it glowing? Like, is it a portion or is it like the whole glass? Is it an, like inside the glass that's glowing? It's not inside the glass. It's, an, it's a strange thing because it's obvious that the light is coming from the glass and it's mm-hmm. uh, washing the whole room in brightness, coming from the concave side only. So when mm-hmm. it as it spins, it's almost like a beacon, right? It 
it spins and it shines along each of the walls and then it will shine in your guys's faces and then it shines on each of the walls uh, but it's not so, it's not coming from the center of the glass it's almost like the glass it's coming from directly in front of the concave portion of the glass mm. so despite the fact that it's made of glass that it's it's like translucent the light doesn't go through it it's only concentrated on one side correct curious I'm going to move up a little closer to the pedestal, see what's written on it, and I'll cast Detect Magic again. Okay. Trying to see basically if it's the spinning disc itself is what's what's magical, or if there's some other source uh, that's making it spin somewhere. On the pedestal, it says, speak the phrase and the lens will open. And under it, it has a... The pedestal itself has a maker's mark. You know how uh, old furniture will have a mark stamped into it to show that it was created by a specific carpenter or production facility? This has a maker's mark on it. Do I recognize the, the, the brand? Please roll me a history check. Nope. Natural one. You, uh, so. you do not. Um, the lens is magical. There is magic, a magical signature emanating from it. So we have an idea as to what the possible phrase it's talking about is, but do we want to actually open whatever this lens is? It, well, it alludes to it being a gateway of some kind, but is it for us to go through or for something to come out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> yeah. Who's feeling really brave today? <laughs> I'll do it because I don't want to waste any more time. <laughs> <laughs> do we do we know what the phrase is? Yeah, we well, saw it outside. Phrases. Okay, so I stand right in front of the pedestal, one hand on my symbol and one hand on my mace, and I say, from nothing we come into nothing we go. I'm getting ready to pull her out of the way in case anything <laughs> crazy happens. Oh, just backing behind a po uh, one of the pillars. <laughs> so when you say you're standing in front of it, are you standing... Like in uh, the pillar. Okay, so from the direction that you all entered the room from, so that would be the south direction because you're going north. Correct. You're standing on that side and saying it. Okay. Uh, and you say what? What What phrase did you say? Uh, from nothing we come into nothing we go. Okay. As you say that, the lens stops spinning, and it, it has stopped so that it is now facing the northern wall, and the light gets stronger, and now it is projecting an entire scene into the northern half of the room. The effect is almost like a hologram. Almost, it's it's kind of flickery a little bit, but it's mostly stable, almost like uh, Princess Leia saying, Obi-Wan, your only hope, that kind of hologram type image. It's almost like that, but it's a magical kind of effect, but it's still a little bit flickering as if it's the signal is a little bit unstable. And here's the scene that it's projecting. As you look, you're looking into what apparently is a workshop. There are 
three or four tables in the room. And uh, the one that is directly in the center of your view has flasks and glass tubing and fluids in the containers and things are bubbling and there's some smoke coming from a little uh, pot that's being, you know, heated by a, a small fire. And uh, it's definitely a workshop type of environment. If you can think of a mad scientist chemistry lab, that's kind of what you're looking at, but in the medieval sense. So everything's made of glass or wood and the fluids are mostly bright blue, but some of them are red and look thicker. And there is a human male going from one table to another, and he is measuring different things and using what looks like a different, say, like thermometer type implements, or sometimes he he sticks a piece of wood in one of the containers and then pulls it out and smells it. And sometimes he's just looking at c the color of the fluid in the flask, and he's writing down notes to himself in a, in a small journal uh, and, you know, muttering to himself several times as he as he's taking these different measurements. And milling around around the room are also a couple of other um, uh, humans, but they one of them is a human actually, and one of them is a gnome. It looks like a gnome, so it's that size person. Uh, they are, so the, the male that is doing the uh, experimentation is wearing dark blue robes, and he obviously has armor on under the robes. You can tell because of the way he's moving. Um, he has a mace hanging from his belt, and he has a small sort of uh, hat on that, that almost just sits right on top and is very flat. Um, and the two, the two other humanoids that are in the room, one looks like a human and one looks like a gnome and they're both male and they are wearing, uh, compared to what the other guy is wearing, these two are wearing veritable rags. Um, their tunics are faded blue. They're stained. They have holes in them. They've got, you know, like brownish trousers on that are probably were light beige and now are just dark with dust and mold and dirt. Um, and they are going back and forth and mixing things and, and adding things. And one of them is over at a, at a machine that almost looks like a butter churn. And he, every once in a while, when he gets a signal, he, he starts to like churn the butter. And another one goes over to a, a, a like what looks basically like a hamster wheel and, and spins it very quickly for a while. And they're running around doing things. And then there is a knock on the door. And you realize that not only is this hologram visual, but it's also auditory. So you can hear what's going on in this room at the same time as you're seeing it. And uh, the person who was taking the measurements and, and muttering to himself says, come in. And another, another person in blue robes comes in. And they have a symbol on their shoulder that you recognize. And that symbol is the shape of an eyeball 
with spikes coming out of it, except the spikes, the triangular spikes, actually have a longer stem on them. Just like the crab man Lucanius drew for you. Remember, Axley drew in the mud outside, in the, in the dirt, in the sand. He drew the eyeball with the triangular spikes on both sides. And the crab guy added these long stem-like spines swooping off to the right. Looks like a half-lidded eye, half-closed eye. And it has spikes coming off in a triangular shape off the top and bottom. And then each of those spikes at the tip of the spike has a, has a longer stem coming off that sweeps to the right. That's the symbol that's on the second person's tunic. He came in, it's on his shoulder. And he says something to the scientist person. And what are you guys doing? It's been a couple of minutes that you're sort of standing there watching at this point. When we heard the knock on the door, I definitely jumped like three feet in the air. <laughs> like, weapon out, like, what the heck. Um, but as it, like, continues, I'm going to walk, like, around the pe- like around the pedestal and kind of get a little closer to, like, the hologram. Okay. Are you going to step into the light? No. Okay. <laughs> At some point, Conus would definitely have been waving his hand in front of the, in, 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 in this just to see if this is real or, or not. Okay. Or like some kind of illusion or projection. When you wave your hand in front, that thing happens uh, that happens when there's a projector and somebody moves in front of it. And you see the silhouette. People, uh, they, everybody sees that of Kodos's hand, um, but it doesn't affect. I mean, the, the hologram is broken where the hand is in front of it, but uh, when you move your hand, the hologram comes back to be the complete vision. I kind of like uh, swat his hand away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Imarin. It's just a projection, it's not real. <laughs> Imarin, um, roll me a stealth check, please. A stealth check? Yes. Oh, God. With disadvantage because you weren't trying. Oh, well, that's a two in the ten. <laughs> so I have minus one. So one. So you are all watching, and you see this person who's who was taking the measurements. You see that the other person came in and was speaking to them. And then Emerin moved around to try to get closer to the hologram off to the side. And she stepped on a couple of the floor... Uh, stones, and her boot made a sound. And all of a sudden, the scientist person turned and listened for a moment. And then he turned around, and he's looking directly into where the lens is projecting out. And he says, who are you? Who's there? I think to Emerin, is there a way to turn this off? (laughs) I don't know. Um, I'm not saying anything. I like froze and just am standing. He takes a couple of steps closer. He says, how did you get in here? He looks back at the assistant person who had just been speaking to him. And he says, start the portal. They must have the key. And the other guy, the other person who walked in there, 
starts moving his hands in obviously a way that um, is going to cast a magical spell. Is anybody else doing anything? Okay. Um, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, I, we just found this place. We stumbled across it. We were sailing and just needed to stop for a moment. Found this island, found this place. We don't even know what this is. I don't know what what key, what portal, what are you... Axley... Um, hmm, so was it Axley? One of you at some point... Do you think they're talking about the fork? Is that a key? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There was something at some point that someone had something on it that said uh, Key of Plateaus. It might have been Axley's uh, coral tablet. I can't remember, and I didn't write down who had access to that information. Uh, the uh, leader of the crab folk had a piece of parchment that said Key of Plateaus ah, on it. That's what it was. That's what it was. And Axley's the one who searched his body. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Great. Yeah. It had a drawing of a mosaic crab with a marking on it. And that was a, it's a tablet? No, it's a it's a piece of parchment. Oh, parchment, okay. It was rolled up in his pocket. It had the it had the symbol that was uh burned into the ground in between the standing stones, and it had the little square showing you where the trapdoor was, and it said key of plateaus on it. The crab fork, the mechanical crab arm fork, said Ian Tarsus on it. Yeah. Still no idea what that is. <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> so the uh, person is still performing his uh, somatic components, and he now starts uh, saying some things. And you see, um, in the northern part of the room, a circular blue arcane sigil starts appearing in the floor. Uh, Do we bolt? Because <laughs> I'm kind of debating bolting at this point. I think they're going to come through, whether we like it or not. <laughs> Are they, like, friendly? Are they dangerous? Will they oh, kill they're us? incredibly dangerous. We're probably messing with the wrong people here. <laughs> they seem upset for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the form the this arcane sigil that is that is starting to form on the floor it's not hologram it's actually starting to form on the floor to the north of the glass projector lens and it's circular with two borders to sort of a, a thick border around the edge of it with writing inside and then in the middle of it is a five-pointed star or a a, a pentagram-type shape with circles at each place where the sides meet. And as you're standing there, it's uh, getting stronger. Can I cast a spell? You can do whatever you want. Okay, I want to cast Suggestion on this guy, and I want to make him believe that his horse is running away and he immediately has to go catch it. (laughs) 
Uh, suggestion is that a is that a will wisdom save? Let's see. Let's see. Um, suggestion. You suggest a course of activity, magically influence a creature you can see within range that you can hear and understand you. Uh, here's here's my issue, and so I'm I'm not going to make you waste your spell slot because as you start to cast this. You know, when you cast this spell normally, because you can see and you can see the person and they're within range of you, you can feel the mm -hmm. magic taking hold and you can target it at that particular uh, individual that you're trying to suggest. You realize as you start to cast this, he is not in range. He's not close enough to okay. you. So if you want to cast that, you're going to have to wait till he comes through the portal if that okay. is indeed what he's going to do. Okay, so basically, I have no target. There's Correct. No target there. Yeah. Okay. Um, how tall? How tall was the pillar where the the lens was sitting on? It's about four feet tall. The pedestal. It's a mm -hmm. it's a thin wooden pedestal with a flat top. The flat top is probably two foot by two foot. The thin uh, the thin wooden part is probably maybe even just two inches thick, and it leads up from the ground. And there's a flat two foot by two foot piece of wood. The pedestal is all wooden. It's the only wooden thing in the room. And floating above it is the lens that's about a foot. Does the pedestal look like it's like uh, somehow fi affixed to the ground? Uh, it looks like it's sitting in a, a divot in the ground, like a hole was drilled into the stone for it. Mm, okay. Um I want to try jumping up there and grabbing the lens. Okay. Real quick, he didn't like answer any of my questions or anything, did he? It's just not. No. Okay. You didn't answer his questions either, so. <laughs> Fair enough. So you want to grab the lens? Are you? Yeah. How tall? How tall is Marcel? Four foot one inch. Okay, so you you can literally reach up and grab it. You're just reaching yeah, up just above <laughs> your head. Okay, I just I needed to know if you were gonna like have to climb onto the thing. So, uh, when you grab it, are you gonna um, try and pull it back? Okay, I want to see if I can pull it off the pedestal. Okay, uh, do you want to give me a strength check? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled a two, so that's a uh, a one. Okay, you can wiggle it like it feels like it's stuck in place now, and you can wiggle it, and you feel like you could get it loose, but you're just you for whatever reason you don't have the strength. As you wiggle it, it kind of makes the image flicker. Can I assist okay. Marcel with trying to move this? No, no, hold on. As soon as I realize that I'm not going to move it, be it because of my strength or anything, can I shocking grasp it? Sure, you can do that. Uh, is that an attack roll? It's I an can't... attack roll. It's a touch spell. So okay. It's a melee attack roll. Okay. So go ahead and give me the attack yeah, roll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a 19. Okay. See, why didn't I roll that for strength? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because Between your strength and my stealth, it's just... <laughs> because it's way more fun if you don't... <laughs> 
It only does two light, uh, two lightning damage. That's what you think. Roll me a percentage dice, please. Oh boy, this is going to be great. I've never rolled a hundred on a percentile dice. But apparently now I can say I have. Yes, if you just roll 100. <laughs> yes. That's what I, get, I think, yes. Because if you roll a 10 and a... Is it a 10 and a 0? Yes. That's 100, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you think it'll be something really bad or really good? Okay. Yes. Now, Shocking Grasp, normally when you cast that, you, you personally, as Marcel, do mm-hmm. you... Um, is it like a shock in each hand or like when do you envision it? Like you're shocking, you're sending shock waves from each hand or like, how, is it just one hand or how, how do you normally do that? I'd say normally it's from one hand. Okay. Your left just, hand or your right hand? Uh, you're going to lose a hand. <laughs> I have no idea what Marcel if, is. If Marcel is left-handed or right-handed. So I think I'll just roll for it. Um, Right-handed, so right hand. Okay, um, I need a dexterity saving throw from everyone. <laughs> oh boy! Mm. Natural twenty. Oh god! 20, oh, oh, eighteen. Twenty-four total. Seven. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot. I still have a level of exhaustion from yeah. crossing the. Yeah, you do. That's okay. Oh, that was a better roll. So it's still an eighteen. 16. Okay. So having exhaustion means you roll with disadvantage, right? So what was... I got uh, 19 and a natural 20, so okay. 18. Okay. And what did Axley get? 16. And Konos got a 24, and Marcel got what? 7. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Center of the blast. <laughs> so... You put Marcel puts their hand on the lens like they try to shake it free and realize that they can't. And then they remove one hand and they they cast the spell and the shocking grasp goes into the lens and then it splits into seven different shock waves, little shocking uh, electrified sprouts. And it goes off in every direction. And every single one of you made your save, except for Marcel (laughs) himself. Uh, So Marcel is going to take four damage right on his hand. So his hand has like an electrical burn right now. But the other thing is, while your hand is electrical burning and you, you just instinctively pull it away because it did not have the response that you thought it was going to have you actually pull the lens with you (laughs) and and the uh the image goes away so i have the lens in my hand now you have the lens it's you kind of fell back it's it's actually in both hands now because it's like a foot in diameter it's a large lens but it is now in your hands it's no longer projecting the view of wherever that was well, I probably fell back on my back with the lens, just like, okay, I think it's time to run. <laughs> Is that, uh, did that, yeah. arc, did that arcane sigil, uh, disappear when they pulled the, when they pulled the lens off the pedestal? No. <laughs> yeah, it's time to run. So, 
scrambling up from the ground. Jesus, Marcel. And I'm sprinting. <laughs> I'm like grabbing Marcel, like pushing them up the stairs. We are bolting. We're going. What are so Konos, Konos and Axley? I'm following the I'm following I'm following them. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take up the rear so make sure everyone gets out. Okay. Who's first? Imarin? Um yes. Uh Imarin, please roll me a wisdom perception check. Okay. With disadvantage. Oh, that's a natural one. Okay. We're rolling great today. <laughs> yeah. Imarin is so much in a hurry to get out of the passageway and out of this room. She runs up and she's got such momentum. She runs up the stairs and the trap door was closed. I don't know if you guys closed it or left it open. Either way, it's closed now. Oh, good. Imarin runs up and hits that trapdoor so hard it flies open and she runs up out of the passageway and finds herself standing in front of the largest, most humongous crab oh boy. she has ever seen. Oh, hey, it's the one we're supposed to kill. <laughs> Good. Great. All right. So now we roll initiative. <laughs> oh, God. That did not go how I thought it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is turning into a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> disadvantage on initiative, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Any ability okay. check. 14. I got a 9. I got a 19. I want to get out of here. <laughs> We all make it up to the top, or is she just the only one up first? Everybody needs to roll initiative. Stairs behind her. Okay. Yeah, everybody will be pursuing us from behind now too, because that might be a problem. Yeah, I want to cover our our exit. I was going to say we should block this trap door with something. I got a seven initiative. Okay. Uh, What did Imran get for initiative? Nine. And Marcel got a 19. 19, yeah. And Konos got a 14. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, Marcel, you're up. You see... Oh, yeah. You see Imran fling the thing open and run up and stop. And you're right behind her. Okay. I run out of the portal thing, like the thing in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably stop right after that seeing what's there what do we do so just um for completeness's sake so that you have an idea of what's going on the crab is huge size not large okay. so sizes go tiny small medium large huge gargantuan it's like four times as big as I am. Yeah, it is enormous. You're gonna draw its attention first. Does and it have um does it have that like soft appearance or like what does it look it, like? It has uh it does look like it has that weird soft shell affliction, if you can call it an affliction. 
but mm-hmm. it is so humongous. It only has like maybe two or three different spots on it that look like they're starting to turn to that nasty jelly-like soft thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to cast Witch Bolt on okay. it. At first level. Okay. Um, so that's a spell attack. That's going to be a natural 20. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Wait, does that mean my Witch Bolt gets maxed every single turn? No, wait, double dice. That's like the best spell to natural 20 on. Mm -hmm. Also, one of the only things that uses D12s in this game. It's double the dice, right? And then... Double the dice, add your modifier once, if there is one. Let's see. Uh, Because it's a spell. Um, So that would be 8, 9, 10, 12. Nope, sorry, 11. 11 lightning damage. Okay, so 11 lightning damage. And Um, I'm going to back away from it as much as I can, which is probably something like 20 feet, because I only have 25. As 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 you do so, you kind of take a look around you to make sure that you're not stepping into more danger. You see four other of those crabs... Not the really huge one, but like four of the smaller, nasty, gooey crabs. Mm-hmm. On and they're like surrounding. Yeah, they're surrounding you. So oh, okay. it, the giant, the enormous crab, has knocked down four of the standing stones to get here. <laughs> right. So the other crabs are sort of around and within. Are they. Are they like inside the circle of stones or be outside of the circle of the stones? The smaller crabs are not inside the circle of stones. The big crab okay. is right there in front of your face. Right. Okay. So I'll back up, not enough to put me outside of the circle, but just like, I'd say 10 feet behind Amarin. Okay. Let Amarin be my shield from the big one at least. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's Marcel Konos. Uh, I'll go up. I'll basically use so basically use whatever movement I need to get to the top of the stairs. Okay. See the chaos that's up there. It's like, oh no. Um, so how close is the big crab to the entrance? He's probably fifteen feet away. Okay. Um, I will use as much movement as I can to move away from the, the big crab and the little ones, and then I will um, eldritch blast the big one. Okay. It's a 22 to hit. That's a hit. For 12 points of force damage. Okay. Okay. And Imarin? Um, yeah. I don't like this at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, as I get to the top of the stairs, I like take another step back and almost fall back down the stairs. So <laughs> Second myself, I'm going to run parallel to the giant crab okay. um, and see how many I can hit with um, uh, the underwave, I believe. Okay. I think that's what I wanted to do. They are yeah. all really close. So okay. you can probably 
position yourself so that you could hit all of them. That would also probably knock down two of the standing stones, just so you know. I'm going to do it anyway, because they already knocked down a couple of them. So, okay. yeah. So that is a con save, is that correct? Um, it is... Yep, con save. Okay, and what's your spell save, DC? Um... should be on the top of the second or third page of your character sheet, or generally it is uh, your spell casting ability plus your proficiency bonus plus eight. So, okay, that's right. So 12. So let me roll for the four crab, the four small crabs first. The first one rolled a 17, so he made it. Second one, a four. Third one, a 17 again, and fourth one, a 1. So two made it, two did not. Let me roll for the big guy. Yeah, he made it. Uh, so how much how much damage are two of them going to take? Two of them will take full damage and be pushed, and uh, two of them will not. That is 10 total damage, so 10 and 5. Okay, 10 total damage, you said? So two of them will take five, and two of them will take ten, and the big guy takes five. Two of them get pushed, Then I need to roll to see if you knocked over the pillars. Yes, two of the pillars are falling over. So here's what I need. I need a dexterity save from Emerin. Oh, God. And Konos. Oh, no. That's a natural one. <laughs> Six total for me. Okay. They wouldn't be pushed away from me? <laughs> yes, they would. Um, but uh, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> I'm trying to save myself. I'm sorry, Goddess. What did Konos get? Six. Okay. Uh, Konos takes uh, four damage from debris hitting him when... The pillar falls. Emerin talked her way out of that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And now it is the crab's turn. Can I take a bonus action to catch spiritual weapon? Sure. Where would you like to put it? Right in front of the big guy's face. Okay. Uh, I think it gets an attack as you cast it, so you want to roll me that attack? That is an 11. It misses. So the spiritual weapon actually hits the crab's face and appears to go through it, but doesn't appear to have any effect. But it's still standing there. Remember, it's a giant lightning bolt. (laughs) So now there's a giant lightning bolt in front of this thing's face. Axley, what would you like to do? You see carnage around you. There are most of the pillars of the standing stones have been knocked down. You're still kind of in the stairway, so you 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 might need to leave the stairway. Um, and there are two crabs that are pretty haggard. They they've been smushed into a couple of the pillars, and then there's an enormous enormous crab, like 15 feet wide. That's how big its shell is. So not not even counting its legs. How, uh, how long does it look like its reach is with its claws? Like how close does it have to get to you to attack? 
for you to attack, well, for it to attack probably about 10 feet, it's got really enormous claws. Okay. What's the radius for a phantasmal force? Good question. No larger than a 10-foot cube. So That's that means it can reach across the, the entire distance, right? Um, the size of the illusion you create, not the range. Yeah, what are you trying to do? Um, I want to back it off. I want to get it away from us so that it won't be amidst us attacking. So what I want to do is I want to cast Phantasmal Force, and I want to create the illusion for the giant crab that we're all standing in a giant pot of boiling water full of seasonings, and the water (laughs) is boiling and bursting and spraying boiling water all over it. Nice. Okay. Pot can't be any larger than 10 foot cube, but your range on the spell is 60 feet. Yeah. So if I put it pretty much like dead center of where the crab is uh, standing in it, it'll hopefully have to move, move out of the way. Basically you're going to cast the illusion so that the pot is in front of the creature. Is that what you're telling me? Sure. So, and it's in it. So it's going to want, so it's going to need to move out of the, the pot if it, believes it um it's larger than a 10 foot pot so you're creating an object in the mind of the creature right so yeah you you basically want to make it think there's a pot of boiling water in front of it and that the pot is large enough to do it some damage that's really the long and short of it right yeah like it's standing in like if it were kind of like a a a crater full full of boiling water you know it's in it already so it is going to feel the heat of the water Okay. Okay. So you want like a like a like as if the ground kind of fell out under it and it got filled with boiling water. That's kind of what you want to do. Yeah, like we're all standing in the surface of a giant boiling pool. Right. Well, so so the thing is that everybody is far enough apart that it it can't. Your illusion is only ten foot. Everybody's ten feet away from everybody else except you and and Marcel. And this so, yeah, this thing it be- itself is like 15 feet wide. But the illusion that you're casting is in the mind of the of the creature. So, let's uh let's let's just figure out what I have to do to have it save. Let's see. Um uh, intelligence saving throw. Can't be that intelligent. I sure No, I'm just cuz it says it could use an action. So really what it's saying is well, first says it makes an intelligence saving throw. Oh, oh, oh. If it fails, yep. it sees okay. it. And then on its turn, it can do That's an what... investigation intelligence check. I was looking in the second paragraph already. So, okay, let's do the intelligence saving throw. I rolled a natural one, so it failed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it now believes that it is in a pool of boiling water. Okay. Does it do damage? Okay. It yeah, can, uh, yeah. It can deal, it's going to deal 1d6 damage to this thing. So roll me a d6. Four. All right. It starts making this really high-pitched noise, almost like air pressure releasing, and starts moving. It is going to... What's your spell save DC, David? Or Axley, I should say. Let's see, spell save DC. 13. Okay. It failed. 
So roll me another d6. Uh, damage is on his turn, not on the target's turn. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. And, and it <laughs> says that if it, can, if it can perceive that the illusion can actually yeah. do damage to it, it has to stay five feet away from it or it can still get damaged, which is why I want the illusion to look like it's boiling and bursting mm-hmm. and throwing boiling water out of the, the 10 foot radius so that it also has to respect that additional five feet. Well, I mean, it's not forced to move though. No, it can. If, oh, if it, it wants to stay damage. Yeah. 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 But as you said, it's not that intelligent. All it knows is it's being hurt right now and it sees the boiling water, but it also sees all of you. So it's going to attack. Uh, okay. Now, Imran moved off to the side and Konos, where did Konos go? Konos kind of moved off to the side as well, right? Yeah, my, my intention was to come up the stairs and then move as far away from the crabs as, as, as I could. Okay. Whatever movement I have left. But Marcel and Axley are basically just outside of the trap, trap door. door we moved a, I moved a bit farther behind where okay. the crab was. Uh, so away from the big one. Yeah, yeah. It's going to move forward. The big one's going to move forward, and it's going to take a swipe at Axley. Okay. Because um, it can't. It's going to try for the, fir- the first person that it can reach, which is Axley. And so it uh, tries to grab you with its humongous claw. That's probably going to miss. A uh, nine. That's a miss, right? Uh, against uh, your my- AC. Uh, 13, yeah. Yeah, so, and then it tries to use its other claw, and that is an 18. Okay. So that hits, and you take 19 damage. Ouch. Oof. Oof. And you are grappled. Okay. That's more HP than I have. (laughs) Yeah, on my damage, I rolled really high. Also, uh, that damage might cause you to break concentration on your spell. Yeah, I think so. Um, And I think you have to roll that on your turn. And the four other crabs that are milling around are still just milling around. They they, uh, are kind of moving away a little bit from the standing stones that are knocking down. And then it's Marcel's turn. Right. I'm going to keep concentrating on Witch Bolt, which okay. I looked up, and according to Jeremy Crawford, does not, the crit does not follow up on following turns, unfortunately. Ah, that's a bummer. But that's still seven damage, seven okay. lightning damage to the big one. I really don't like. Did the small ones, have the small ones done anything? They have been uh, pushed by Immerin's Thunder Wave into a couple of standing stones, taken a bunch of damage, and they're staying outside of the standing stones still. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I'm just going to keep away from the big guy, but try not to get too close to the edge. So somewhere between the big guy and the standing stone edge. Okay. Um, and uh, that's my turn. Okay. Do you want to try to close that trap door? The trap door. Yeah, the door down That's, that leads down to the stairs. If I came out through the trap door and moved 
away from the crab. I'd have to go towards the crab now to close the trap door. Mm. Okay. I was just going to let you close it as part of your movement if you wanted to. Oh, like before I move? Yeah. I think everybody kind of forgot about the... Yeah. Um, Yeah, in that case, I'll close it before I move. I mean, it's not going to stop them. We don't really have anything heavy to put on top. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's fine. But yeah, sure. I'll close it. At least we'll know when they come up. (laughs) (laughs) Konos. Okay. um, Can I like try to hide behind or yeah, I guess like put some, use one of the collapsed standing stones to as cover between me and the big crab. Sure. I guess I'll move to, so it's between the crab and me and then I'll elders blast again. Okay. Roll me some attack roll. Uh, 20 total. That's a hit. For 14 damage. Okay. That is a lot of damage. Gotta love Eldritch Blast. That's, that's <laughs> max for me. And Imarin. Um, I'm getting close to being out of spells. Um, so... Okay, I guess first I'll attack with my... I'll use my bonus action to attack with my spiritual weapon. Okay. Roll me an attack roll, please. That is a 17. That hits. Roll me some damage. And can I use uh, my channel divinity, uh, my destructive wrath, to deal maximum damage instead of rolling for lightning damage? Nice. Sure, if that's what it does, I will let you do that. Yes, it does. Is that a bonus act? That bonus action is the attack, right? Uh, yes. Okay. So how much damage does that do then? Um... Uh, why am I not seeing it? It's going to be under the spiritual uh, weapon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it takes 10 damage. Okay. Right? Yes, 10 damage. Okay. Um, roll me a... Uh, strength saving throw. Okay. Um, that is 12. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then, so that was your bonus action. What, what else are you going to do? Um... I don't really want to get much closer to it. And the other crabs aren't doing anything. Um, I'm relatively far away from it now. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to continue kind of like walking around it to see if I can flank it. Okay. At least just move as far as I can around it. Are you going to not- go outside of the standing stone perimeter? No, because I feel like the other crabs will attack me. So okay. I'm going to stay kind of inside, but like right on the border. Not outside just yet, but just right along the border. Okay. 
Axley, you are currently grappled in one of the really large claws of the big crab. Okay. I need you to make a save to see if you lost concentration first. What kind of save is it? Um, that's a good question. Constitution. Yeah, it's a d20 plus your... Uh, that's what I was thinking, but it didn't... Yeah, it is, const- it is constitution. All of, a sudden, right. it, all of a sudden, it didn't sound right. <laughs> um, okay. Yes. Uh, Fifteen. It's 10 or half the half damage Half the damage. Taken. The damage was 19. So, yeah. So, he made it. Okay. So, now what are you doing okay, so for, your, for your turn? Uh, what does it take to... I guess it would be strength, right? To try to break out of the... Yeah, it's out. either uh, uh, athletics or acrobatics. Your choice. Mm-hmm. Also, roll me a d6 because uh, it's still going to take damage from your boiling water. Uh, five. Okay. Um, so dissonant whispers, mm-hmm. it forces my enemy to run away from me as their reaction. Does that mean it would have to drop me or would it carry me with it? Mm. I guess if it's trying to get away from me. I think given the circumstances and given the intent of the spell, I would say that you could say it's going to drop you. Okay. Because it has to move as far away from mm-hmm. me. Right. It's not going to hold on to you. Yeah. Okay. It's, like, uh, and not, it's not I'm... a dog chasing its tail, <laughs> right? Like, oh, this thing is still following me uh, because it's holding on to you. So it will drop you and go away if it fails its save. Okay, I will cast that spell then. Okay. Um, what's your spell save DC? Never mind, I rolled a 19. Okay, it's oh. 13. So it's going to take half damage still. Half damage, okay, which is 3d6 normally, so 3d6. 11, so half, half of 11, is that rounded up or down? Uh, always round down, so it's 5 damage. Um, so what does Dissonant Whispers look like when you cast it? Um, I bring my hands up to my mouth and whisper into the hands, and then this the, uh, dark uh, energy shoots from my hands out to the creature and into its ears. Okay. Or where its ears would be. <laughs> what do you say to a crab to make it go crazy? <laughs> <laughs> um, that it's it's going to end up on the end of my fork. <laughs> okay. Um, well, unfortunately for you, it succeeded on its save. So it doesn't drop you. Okay. And now it's its turn, unless there's anything else you want to do on your turn. Um, I, I can't do a bonus action, right? If I've already cast a spell. You can do a bonus action as long as you did not already lose your or use your bonus action. Although maintaining concentration on your your other spell might cost you that bonus action if you want to take. It doesn't. Yes, there's not. I, I want to maintain the illusion because it's causing yeah. damage. So okay. Yeah, I guess I'll just, I'll just maintain it. All right. Um, so you're in its claw, and it's going to take a bite out of you. And I rolled a sixteen, so that's going to hit. 
I need you to make me a constitution save. Okay. Actually, how many hit points do you have left is probably the better question right now. I have five, just, I believe. Yep, okay. Five. Yep. Uh, actually, you have zero. I okay. still need you to make a con save, though. Okay. Uh, I rolled a nine and then con bonus. The DC is 10, so Plus you probably two. passed it if you have a con bonus. I got 11, yeah. Okay. You are knocked out because he did nine damage. So uh, okay. next turn, you're going to have to roll a death save. Everyone sees this crab lift up Axley and kind of close its claw on him. And you see Axley kind of pass out almost, like wilt over. And you see the crab moving Axley's body towards its mouth. Uh, And it is Marcel's turn. Well, that's not good. Um, Can I keep maintaining my spell? Because that's a guaranteed d12. And that's five. Five more lightning damage to this thing. Um, Someone do something, please. Uh, I just cast spells. That's all I do. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can't. Yep, that's my turn. Okay. Roll me a perception check, please. Sure. Uh, that's going to be 12. Okay. Uh, you notice that the, the, uh, the other crabs, the smaller crabs, they're backing away. They're hmm. like slowly, you know, previously they were kind of milling about and then Emerin cast her spell and it caused them to sort of be pushed into the stones and whatnot. And now they're kind of s- slowly backing away. Their movement is obviously intentional, not uh, random milling about like it looked like they were doing before. Uh, Konos, it is your turn. Okay, uh, I am going to try Dissonant Whispers myself on this crab. Okay. Um, so this is going to sound like um, it'll hear and say like this this really really deep sounded deep throat kind of whale sounds like picture like a like take like a whale a whale call and just like drop it down about twenty octaves. Okay. And like from like from the depth, something as nasty is coming up to eat it. Okay. Uh, what's your spell save DC? Fourteen. And I rolled a thirteen, so I failed. So roll me some damage. Yep, eighteen psychic damage, and it has to use its reaction to flee, and hopefully it will drop actually. Uh, uh, in the process. There is a chance it will do that. Let's find out. Okay. Actually, it does drop Axley. I rolled a 98, man. The D100s are hot tonight. <laughs> I, I, know that, I know that might screw up Marcel's spell, but right now I don't want uh, our, yeah. our bard getting, getting eaten or anything like that. Konos, are you going to do anything else? And I, I'll use my movement to just go, like, get as close to Axley as I can. And, like, if, if I'm able to, like, pull him back away from the crab. Okay. Um, it has to move. It's moving away from you. So, um, yeah, it goes 30 feet away from you. Everybody group up with Konos. <laughs> uh, like, and uh, then it is. I was, I was calling, like, Axley needs some help over here. Imarin's turn. Can I reach Axley? 
You can make it to him now, no problem, because the crab uh, went 30 feet away. The crab is now outside of the standing stones. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, I run up to uh, Axley and I cast Cure Wounds. My last spell slot. Okay. Uh, So that's eight. (laughs) Three. Plus your spell casting. I I rolled a one. Oh. So, uh, actually, all I have to say about that is three hit points is better than zero. So you are now three, awake. Three hit points is better than a death save. That's right. Use the alternative. Imarin, are you doing anything else? Uh, bonus action, uh, spiritual weapon. That's uh, six. So that spiritual weapon, do you oh, have yeah, to? I, I move it. Yeah, I yeah. move it. But, but it's to... only 20 feet, can it? Well, when it moves, does it use your movement? Because you already moved. Um, I think it has... I can move the spiritual weapon up to 20 feet. But is it is it your movement or is it its movement? As a bonus know. action, you move it and repeat the attack. So it's bonus action to move and attack. Okay. But it only moves 20 feet. Okay. Uh, it, it can't does, reach it. Catch movement. Yeah. It'll move. So now on its ne- on your next turn, it'll be within ten feet of the thing. So okay, okay, Axley, you are awake, laying on the ground, with Imran standing over you. Hi, that was really scary. Don't do that again, <laughs> please. <laughs> a terrible dream. I was being eaten by a giant crab. <laughs> Sorry to say that wasn't a dream. <laughs> what would you like to do, Axley? So I'm conscious? Yeah, you're conscious, and you have three hit points. Okay. Is the crab still alive? Uh, yeah. Is it still around? Yeah. If you turn your head slightly, you can see it. It's about 30 feet away, maybe 40 feet from where you are, because Konos pulled you back. Okay. Uh, I'm going to cast um, <laughs> Vicious Mockery, the one that makes it uh, have a disadvantage on its next attack. Yep. Yeah, so uh, it needs a wisdom save. What's your spell save, DC? 13? I rolled a five, so it fails. What is the mocking? What is the mocking that you say to this crab creature to make it feel bad about itself? <laughs> uh, that uh, I did not taste very good at all. <laughs> it, it, want, it doesn't want any more of me. A disgusting flavor of a bar in its mouth. <laughs> Anything else on your turn? Uh, you're still laying on the ground. Actually, you're going to stand up. Okay. Oh, and it does 1d4 psychic damage. Oh, yeah. So roll me a d4. Okay. Uh, three. Um, all right. You're all now standing. Well, I take it back. Marcel is not near you, but the other three of you are standing together. Mm-hmm. And I know no player group ever likes to hear that. I was going to say, I don't think I like that. Here comes the fireball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you see the crab start shaking, and it then goes into the ground and you feel the ground rumbling and you see the ground being torn up in front of you coming towards you in a direct line and then the crab bursts out of the ground and it misses Konos it misses Imarin uh oh actually I'm sorry <laughs> um, it hits actually <laughs> Oh, man. I rolled a five, a five, and a fifteen. Um, 
Everybody else have healing spells because I'm out of spell slots. Actually takes 11 damage. Okay. <laughs> Would that be a disadvantage on that if that's an attack roll? Since oh, the oh you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Let me roll again. I rolled a 16. Nah. Sorry. That you were you were right though. Okay. Uh but nope. Um eleven damage, which knocks you basically down to zero again. Okay, it takes me down to zero. Okay. That crab doesn't like you. And I need you to no, make no. a con- a constitution save as well. Okay. It's a DC twelve. Rolled an eleven plus two cons, so okay. thirteen. And then it is Marcel's turn. So important question: When it ran away, did it go more than thirty feet away from me? Since I was like at least fifteen feet away from it. And yeah, it did because it went thirty feet away from Axley or from Konos. Right. Okay, so which bolt? Uh, the the tether of lightning tethering me to it broke because oh, that's okay. thirty feet max. Okay. Um. So which bolt is out? Man, this sucks. Um, is boss right? Okay, so that's one person. Okay, um, you're out of spells. We cannot pick Axley up, and these things are insanely fast. You can stabilize him with a medicine check and make sure he doesn't have to make any death saves. But that's pretty much all you can do for him, unless somebody has a healing potion. Well, I was just considering running, but these things we've seen how fast they can be. So, me with my twenty fives feet of movement um, will quickly become crab bait. Um, so we're not going to do shocking grass because that requires touching it. And you know what? <laughs> I don't want to get close to it. Yeah. Let's wait. What's this? <laughs> okay. Yeah. We need to kill this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to chaos bolt second level. Okay. And hope I actually hit or else we're doomed. <laughs> it's got to be like kind of dying, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. That was a 19 on the die. Okay. Um, that hits. So 24. Um, so that's going to be 3d8 damage. I'll just roll it in. That's 5, 6, 7, plus 7, 14, and 1d6. 1. Uh, so that's 15. And what type of damage is it? Uh, let me double check. Does the lightning damage seem to have been doing anything special to it? No, right? Nope. I rolled uh, 7, 5, and 2. Okay, we'll make it cold damage then. See if see how much it likes the cold. And you did 15 damage? 15 damage, yeah. So 15 cold damage. Um. Okay. Okay. Roll me a perception check, please. Ten. You see icicles form on its eye stalks and on its mouth parts, and its claws freeze. Hmm. And then, if you're done, it's Konos' turn. Right. Can someone can someone grab Axley and maybe it's time to run? Yeah. Can I use my can I use my action to try to stabilize him? Sure. It's a medicine check. 17 total. Okay, he's stable. Okay, and then, yeah, I'll start, uh, I guess, moving back towards uh, towards our boat. Are you going to pick up Axley? 
Yes. Okay. Actually, do you know how much you weigh? Uh, no. I'm I'm wearing only leather armor, so that's not a lot of weight. What's uh, Konos's strength? Nine. <laughs> Konos is encumbered. Oh boy. Uh, but he is moving back. Imran, what are you doing? You see Konos uh, administering some bandages to Axley, and then sort of picks him up and fi- starts fireman carrying him away. You can uh, you can roll a perception check if you want to see how damaged and how yeah I you know, would because you were to. saying you feel like it's taken a lot of damage. So that is uh, that's a ten. This crab looks like it's at death's door. Fantastic! I'm gonna hit it with my spiritual weapon again. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna keep hitting at it. Not twenty. Not twenty. Oh, uh, that's <laughs> a seven. Nope. No, sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> this is probably really stupid, but I'm going to run up and hit it with my mace. Okay. <laughs> roll me an attack roll. Stop killing my friends. Uh, that's a 16 to hit. That hits. How much damage? Five. Okay. And that was a mace? Yes. Uh, tell me what it looks like when this thing dies. <gasps> Oh my god, I did it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. You hit it in the face and it's vulnerable to bludgeoning, so. <sighs> Thank god. Um, I'm just gonna, like, watch my friends retreating and then just run up and, like, club it both hands right in the face so that its skull just, like, caves in. Okay. All of you hear the sound of the ice shattering, the ice that was covering its claws and its eye stalks and its mandibles just shatters when Imran hits it. And then the thing collapses to the ground. Nice. Nice. And the other four crabs are nowhere to be seen. Okay. Who has a sharp thing that we can cut off the head? Are we like out of combat then? You're out of combat now. Yes. Great. Okay. Um, so I'm going to start moving as much rubble and rocks and stuff on top of that trap door as I physically can. And someone with a sharp thing cut that head off. We're leaving. And I'm just shoving rocks onto this <laughs> trap door. I, I've got a dagger. Great. I'll start slicing. This This will probably take a while. Maybe we push the crab shell on top of the trap door as well once we're done. Yes, that is... Excellent. If we're able to do stuff. So, uh, roll me a wisdom check, both of you. Wisdom check? Yeah. 13. Uh, that's, uh, 12. So as you're about to cut off the face of this giant crab, you remember that Olgrat wanted you to bring the big crab to him. Oh, Oh, boy. Not Plus just the, the head? I thought it was just the head. Well, I mean... It's kind of hard to get a crab's head off, though. Yeah. I'm not, try, I'm not sure what kind point, of crab yeah. it is, but we're going to need help. At the risk of being cliche, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a really big net to wrap this thing up and Hi. pull it behind ours. Yeah, oh, that might be an option. Smart. That's yeah. kind of smart. We're also really weak in terms of strength. We might oh require God, higher help from the rest of our crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marcel, how fast can you swim? Can you get there fastest? Yes. 
was going to say, maybe see if we can get some more people out here, get a net, and then we'll have to drag it. Maybe if we have two dinghies, drag it with those and then attach it to our ship and then out. Um, double checking, but I think I have a swim speed of 30 feet. So I can go 60 feet per six seconds, basically. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, we've been saying that you can swim out to the ship in about a half hour. Half hour, yeah. So I could swim out to the ship and tell them to grab... How many boats does the ship have? It. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that is. <laughs> one of them is on the shore. Yeah, one of them is on the shore that you brought with you. Let me just check real quick. It looks like it has three. Okay. Because they so, can ba- they can basically hold six to seven people each, and you've got a crew of 20, including mm-hmm. yourselves. So so if we have one here, we still have two on the, on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, I can swim back, tell them to take the two boats back, and we can end some netting so we can rig it between the two boats and row it back or behind the two boats and, and row it back to the sh- ship. Cause that crab looks heavy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think that's our best bet. Can I hear anything like from the trap as I'm pushing rocks onto the trap door? Can I hear anything happening mm. under there? Is there anything? No, you don't, you don't hear anything. Okay. Do you think what? they just didn't come through the portal? Where did this thing even come from? I think if it was on the island, we would have seen it. Maybe it came from the ground. Maybe it, since it like dug its way when it attacked the, us. The big one. But like I'm thinking whoever they were, they were not possibly not even on this island. They're in some other place. And this was a communication device. And I just like hold up the lens. <laughs> <laughs> Miraculously not broken. Yeah. <laughs> From actually, that's a good question. From from when we were like moving around underground and exploring that chamber, did we get the sense that that chamber was directly underneath where the standing stones are, or at a different spot? It was slightly north because the the trap door was basically right in the center, almost. Oh, okay. Slightly off center, and then remember it goes down, and then the the passageway was about twenty or thirty feet up to the actual room. Mm-hmm. Um, quick question. Is the lens still glowing now no. that it's off the pedestal? No. It went out as soon as you pulled it off. Pulled it off. Okay. Okay. Well, we can speculate on the ship right now. I think we should get moving before something else decides to attack us. Should I take the lens with me to the ship or leave it with you guys? Take it to the ship. I don't really want it here, especially if we get attacked again and risk it okay. getting stolen. Take it. I want to see what it is. All right. All right, so I'll I'll make the swim out to the uh, ship and get some of our stronger people to come out with the net and help us pull this thing back to the ship. Okay. Is there anything that uh, any of the others of you want to do on that island, or you're just going to help get the crab situated Maybe onto the boat? Take a short rest. I am going to be out for an hour, at least. Probably more, because the rowboats are going to take longer to get to the island. Yeah, I'll I'll search around a little bit and see if I can see like where those other crabs might have gone off to. I mean, Axley is unconscious, right? I was going to say, is he awake at this point? Stable, no, but... he's stable, but Uh-oh. he's. I mean, he's ill. You're. Oh, okay. 
then I'll then I'll never mind. I'll just stay with him. Okay, but but, but I, I guess what I'm saying is you, there's really nothing else you want to do on the island, right? You just want to go back to the boat. However, you get that done, you just that's what you want to do. Yeah, I think that's the point. Yeah. Okay, so we could just say that you de- you've done that though. We don't need to. That's that's not difficult. You uh, Marcel goes back, gets two or three strong crewmen, has and them then- row back. They exclaim <laughs> with <laughs> amazement and shock at this enormous 15-foot crab. And then they help put it in a net. And you all go back <laughs> to the boat. And now everyone's on ship. Um, and uh, Axley is still unconscious. Jesus. Lucanius was resting. And... Uh, do you want to put the crab down there near Lucanius in the cargo hold, or are you going to put Lucanius in a different room? I feel like the crab might start to smell. <laughs> we might just want to leave it on the deck somewhere. Okay. Maybe just tie it to like the back side or or the front. I don't know where the the opposite side of where the wherever the wheel is. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. my thought was you tow it behind the ship. Okay, you you can. Well, we might lose it that way. Oh yeah, good point. We could hang it off the side of the ship, though. Okay, that's what you want to do. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, we'll put it at the back, but off the side so that it doesn't bother us, but not in the water because then something could come up. Let's try to if there's if we have any tarps, let's cover it up because otherwise we're gonna have seagull problems. Yeah, fine, 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 fine. I mean, we're gonna have seagull <laughs> problems anyway, but at least this way they won't, won't try it. They, they'll have more trouble trying to get to it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, so, putting it at the back works better in terms of smell because we're moving forward. <laughs> okay, so there is going to be a two and a half day journey back to Traston Finn. If that's where you want to go, is that where you want to go next? Yes. 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 Okay. Um, since it's two and a half days, that means that Imran uh, is going to rest enough to be able to cast Cure Wounds on Axley. Do uh, I roll for that then? No. Uh, you. Okay. I, I mean, for two and a half days, what I'm going to do is <laughs> let me roll and make sure nothing happens during the two and a half days. Can I use Frostbite on the, the, the corpse to, to like keep it as cool as possible so it doesn't... like? start to rot over the period of two and a half days. Sure. How long does it last? It's just a cantrip. Okay. Um, so it's just... You'll just keep blast. casting it when it runs out? Yeah. Okay. Or just like <laughs> blast it until it's cold enough and then be like, well, just to get it past the like yeah. midday heat and <laughs> yeah, this, kind of slow the process down at least. It's only two and a half days. It's not going to rot that fast, maybe, but... <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, so your your two and a half day trip passes without incident, although the crew looks upon the four of you with different eyes because uh, every once in a while throughout the two and a half days, you see one of the crewmen try to sneak over to the side of the ship and look over at the crab. <laughs> hanging in a in a net and trying to sort of size up what this crab really was. 
uh, they're trying to hide the fact that they're doing it right. They're they're trying to make it not so obvious that they are in awe of the fact that the four of you took down a fifteen to twenty foot crab. And so the 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 word has spread throughout the crew. By the time two of the two of the three almost three days have gone by, uh, several of the younger youngish crew members are quite nervous around you. They, um, when they, if, if you're on deck and they're out there doing whatever their regular job is, if you speak to them, they sort of jump and stutter and uh, try to move as quickly as possible to do whatever it is that you have asked of them. And it, there's a definite change. Not that they were, not that the crew was disrespectful to you before, um, but they are, much, much more respectful now in an obvious way. Uh, and a couple of the sort of senior crew members are definitely deferential to you in a way that's different from before. After all that fruity language, here's what that really means. Your crew quality score has gone up by two points, which means that... Um, when you try to, when we actually have a voyage after you leave Trastenfin next time and you go out on a voyage uh, to wherever Imarin thinks that you guys need to go, it your crew will have a, a better quality score, so they'll be more easily able to deal with problems that may occur. So it's a good thing, in other words. So your your crew quality score went up by two points just from you bringing in that giant crab. Excellent. Lucanius, along the trip, you've noticed Lucanius is still kind of devolving. He's still becoming more crab-like, although it's a very, very slow process. Hmm. And so that's where we'll end it. We'll end it with you about a half day's travel out from Trast and Finn. Okay. Uh, and the reason we're ending right now is because you guys just leveled up, so we need to level you up. Yay. Right. So you are now going to be fourth level. Um, do we get to pick uh, between ASI and feet? Yes. That sounds complicated. <laughs> it's it's complicated if you don't... If, if you're... Like, I know several players who never use feats. They just don't use feats in fifth edition. They just always do the attribute increase. And so they don't even bother to ever even look yeah. at feats. And so it's really not complicated for them. <laughs> They're just like, no, when I'm not doing it, you know. Yeah. Um, but if if feats are at, at all interesting to you, then they're a nice alternative. I'm not sure if I have a preference or not. In fact, that that actually is a really good topic for the debrief portion of the episode, which is, you know, do the benefits of uh, an attribute increase that you could take eventually out, you know, the, the benefits that you would get from that because of the added uh, bonuses to rolls and whatnot, does that actually outweigh the benefits that you would get from the situational portions of the feats and whatnot? I don't know the answer to that. I think it's a preference thing. I've found it depends on kind of what what character you're playing and what, what feats you're potentially taking. I know there's some some feats that are like are better up better off at higher levels because they scale off your proficiency bonus. So, like so, those are like those. You're better off kind of waiting till that's that's higher up. Mm -hmm. 
uh, like inspiring leader that like goes off of your total level. So that's that's kind of a better one for higher up. Mm-hmm. I'm I I know there's a few feats I've looked at for this character, but right now I'm going to just up my dexterity and charisma, and I'm, I'm just going to max those out at twenty at this point. Mm-hmm. So some of them are are. Some of them are situational in that they could be, depending on the group, could be used a lot or could be not hardly used. For example, uh, one that would have been applicable and nice this evening is the healer feat, (laughs) which says uh, one of the benefits of it is when you use a healer's kit to stabilize a dying creature, that creature also regains one hit point. So that would have pulled Axley out of unconsciousness on the island this evening. Um, You also get to spend the use of a healer's kit to tend to a creature and restore 1d6 plus 4 hit points to it. So basically, it's it's almost uh, it's in between like a healing word and a stabilizing kind of ability. Um, But you know, what what you give up for having that is adding to your attributes, which affect a lot more than just one thing. So, it's a trade-off. Some of them seem not as good of deal, right? Like yeah. al- alert, you gain plus five bonus to your initiative, but also you can't be surprised uh, as long as you're conscious. You can't be. You'll never be surprised during combat, so you'll always get to not be surprised. Yeah. And if you if you play that right and you have a nice DM, what that means is you can also try to warn your other team members and then they are also less likely to be surprised although technically speaking that's not rules as written you know there are some some of these sound like really great abilities and whatnot but um it depends on maybe how generous your dm is or like the dungeon delver feat is probably probably would not you know you have resistance to damage dealt by traps well yeah I guess that's not specific to dungeons, really, even though the name is Dungeon Delver. It's something to consider. I actually, I don't usually play, so I don't usually really think too heavily about the feats, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> not sure what that says about me, but is anyone thinking about a feat? Karu, you mentioned it. Are you thinking about a feat? Um, I was considering it, but looking at my stats, I have... Half of them are odd, and the mm-hmm. half of them that are odd are the actual ones I'm using. <laughs> yeah. So it makes more sense at this point to get the plus one because I get mm-hmm. a plus one to two stats right. by taking the ASI. So now my charisma is 18 instead of 17, and that's going to affect all my spells. Right. And my up my dexterity, which will um, make it so my armor class goes up by one as well. Nice. I'm just going to have to, I think, read some of them. To yeah, I know that it. one of the common ones for ca- uh, spellcasters is Warcaster. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because that gives you advantage on con saves for concentration checks. Um, and it lets you basically cast spells when you're holding a shield and a sword or a weapon. Because elsewise, uh, for example, Emerin might have issues with casting spells with um, somatic component if she's holding her weapon and shield because mm-hmm. you kind of need a free hand to <laughs> right 
but since I'm just a pure caster, I don't have to worry about weapons. <laughs> yeah. And I have a plus four for my constitution saving throw already. So, as sorcerer. I think that's the one class that gets constitution as a saving proficiency. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The one time I played a sorcerer, it was mostly in Pathfinder. I think I that character died about almost every third session just because it was so brittle and I had <laughs> very poor idea of how to play a, a, a weak spellcaster at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think by, and they got they got revived a couple times, but like with increasingly high constitution penalties. So I think they had about a maybe a seven or an eight constitution by the time that character's run ended. Wow. So it's just like it's just it's just just it's just like diminishing returns. It's like eh, every fight, it's like oh god, here we here we go again. We're gonna have to get this character revived yet again. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's harsh. They really are glass cannons in Pathfinder One. I don't know how hardy they are in Pathfinder 2. Yeah, some of these are not. Yeah. Like tough. Your hit point maximum increases by an amount equal to twice your level when you gain this feat. Whenever you gain a level thereafter, your hit point maximum increases by an additional two hit points. And that and that uh, con- consistently scales uh, or adds on with every level you right. get. So you so, get a nice, a nice bump when you first take and then a little bit more every, t- yeah. every level. Yeah. So if you took it right now, you would get eight extra hit points. And then every time you level up, you get whatever you roll plus your con modifier plus an extra two. Yep. So by the time you've had that for five levels or so, you're talking about having an extra, you know, 10 hit points above everybody else of a comparable hit die amount, you know, which is decent, I guess. But what are you giving up for that? You're giving up two attribute bumps, which could give you a plus one on skill checks for multiple different skills across four levels, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you're, if it comes down to, say, like adjusting your constitution score versus taking tough, tough does give you more hit points in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um. And as far as the skill checks, um, fifth level is the proficiency bonus increase, so there's a chance to kind of make up for that if you do want to take a feat. Yeah. And since we're since we're all casters, like you said, uh, like Curse, uh, like Warcaster is a good one. Magic Initiate's a good one for people who want to maybe look at um, spells from other 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 classes lists. I might do that at some point. Ritual Caster is one if you want to learn if you want to like learn rituals, and if you're not if you're not a wizard. I think the I think it's fairly balanced in a way that makes it so that it's a difficult choice, right? My own personal thought about it is that it's a tough choice because almost every class has one or two feats that would be probably a really good idea for for that particular class, for that particular PC. But also it's a really good idea to increase your attributes. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I I feel like they're decent enough to make it a difficult choice. Most of them are. Some of them, eh, I don't know. I had I had kind of looked like sort of looked ahead over the life of the of this character as far as like the sort of eldritch invocations I might might want to take down the road. I might have to start doing that with feats now. <laughs> so I pretty much have a have have a good I have a pretty good idea of like what all the what all the invocations I'm going to uh, Conos would take as as, as leveling mm-hmm. up goes. 
um, that that's kind of you know subject to change. But I've got a fairly good list at this point because fifth level I'll get to pick it. I'll get a new one. Seventh level I'll get a new one. Mm-hmm. Ninth level I'll get a new one. And then every time I level up, I can swap out one. So if I find that one just isn't working or is you know redundant or whatever, I can say, well, I'll, I'll set this aside and try something else. Nice. I think I think for feats, it's also important to think of like story beats. What would make sense for the character? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, does does the character know? Did the character notice? Like, did you notice in battle or whatever that something was missing that could be better covered by taking a feat rather than just making it so that your character basically leveled up their charisma or whatever ability that you'd be increasing. Um, so I, I, I kind of use that to help me decide because like the decision itself from a mechanic standpoint, yeah, they're more or less balanced. There's always one or two that could be well interesting to take as a feat. Um, it's interesting because my group leveled up to eight uh, like mm-hmm. a session or two ago. So they had the same issue of do we take a feat or do we take... Um, the increase, and I think, I think at least half the party took a feat this time because mm. there's been so many things that they've been missing that doesn't really get covered by the plus one to attack or spell or defense that the VASI was because uh, they wanted to take um, things like getting extra skill proficiencies or getting extra languages so they can. Um, read and write and and speak more languages and stuff like that had more mechanical benefits for them in game and it made sense with their characters. Interesting. Yeah. So Nina and David, you, you are both new to five E new to fifth edition. So do the, do the feats seem overwhelming? Yeah. I kind of need to go through them all to know, analyze them one by one and just see how they would fit the character and what, the advantage versus just taking you know, easy answers is a stat increase, right? That's mm-hmm. that's pretty straightforward. But I kind of want to delve into what the other options are. Mm-hmm. I would I would agree. I would need to look through them. But at this point, I'm kind of in the same boat as Karu. I have two odd numbers of wisdom and strength, which both I use quite a bit. So I might as well take the stat increase, but I would like to look into a feed at some point in time. Mm-hmm. So I will pro- I probably will peruse it quite a bit and see what and then as we like continue as well, battling and working as a team, we can kind of figure out what we're missing. So right now I think we're all like ranged. I don't think any of us I can do like melee combat, but none of us are really fit to get up close and personal at this point. So I was kind of thinking about taking a feed that might help out with that. Like just help. We need a, we need a frontline fighter. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so um, you kind of do, I mean, so I mean, that- I'm sure we can make it work either way, mm-hmm. but I think it would be, at least somewhat beneficial to have someone kind of in the area, mm-hmm. yep. at least badgering the yeah. enemy. I mean, basically, you know, the, the kind of um, the arc of sort of 
difficulty in in villains or bad guys or or foes generally speaking the higher level you get you're of course going to be meeting things that are more difficult and part of that reason is because those things are going to be able to cast spells as well right that doesn't mean yeah. you don't need a frontline fighter because oftentimes spellcasters are surrounded also by those who cannot cast spells um, Not only that, but if you get into melee with the enemy spellcaster, then they're casting at disadvantage. So it's right. still a benefit to us. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'm just saying for Imarin, for Imarin, the character, like, don't necessarily hobble your your spellcasting attitude. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just because you want to do some frontline fighting as well. So. <laughs> yeah, I figure stay back, get close, stay back, get close. <laughs> Kind of run around, be quick with my minus one decks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everybody's bad at something, right? At least I didn't fall down the stairs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> How do you all feel about about the session tonight? Uh, that was fun. I like the lore dump. I was like, give that all to me. Do all of that. <laughs> That was fascinating, and I'm so, like, I, I just want to, like, look at this little lens thing and see what we can do with it. I was trying to, when you first put the, uh, gave us the handouts for the, like, for the, the, the writing on the wall, I was trying, I was trying to go through and actually decipher, see if I could decipher a little <laughs> bit myself, like, okay, like, where, where are the most common letters here? Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that's to not going to work. <laughs> We get a little bit more of the mystery coming into focus. Yep. And then we run up the stairs and are like faced with a giant crab. <laughs> <laughs> you had to know that was coming. <laughs> I I really thought we had gotten past it because I was I was so ready for it the last session. I was like, all right, we're gonna be fighting this giant crab. It's gonna be in the basement. We're gonna fight this giant crab. And then it wasn't there. And I was like, okay, great. And then we run up the stairs and I'm yeah, as I was saying, like, like we Scooby Doo it out of there, and then right into the clutches of Pinch, Pinchy Boy. No, I do, I do like how like we we got the scene with you know like the scientist workshop or the alchemist workshop. It's like like the world basically got bigger because they were we were able to see and hear them. They were able to see and hear us. So that that was definitely more than just a projected image for sure. And now we know that there's more people in the world, uh, bigger place more locations and bigger places that we know about and they have they may have and who knows how much of us they saw so we may have attracted some attention that uh that might come to might have and we still have the lens the that's that, that's likely to bite us in the ass at some point sure it <laughs> it's gonna be great when it does i don't know I why you that think that <laughs> let's see maybe we install that in the lighthouse to see what happens <laughs> <laughs> just a thought uh, yeah, you'd have to tell uh, Torpin that um, you have a great new piece of technology for him to use. Yeah, and not tell him about the whole, it could maybe open a portal between some crazy mad, mad scientists. And... <laughs> Just don't say these specific words near it. Good. Do Just not write it down, hand it up to, on a piece of paper. Yeah. Do not say this out loud. Do not string these words together next to each other. 
do you have a vision for where your character is going in terms of mechanics, but also in terms of story? You know, we we talked about we sort of we sort of made characters that have bonds and flaws and goals and we're just barely getting started, but you know, I, I am already seeing some characters come out of you that uh, weren't necessarily as fully fleshed out in the beginning, of course. I mean, that's that's what's supposed to happen, and I am enjoying that. But are you are each of you focused on trying to portray a certain type of character, portray a certain end goal, or what are your thoughts about that at this point? Now that now that we're three or four sessions in with each of you, I'm going to answer this question last because I have a follow up question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think so far Marcel is kind of going where I expected him them to go in terms of like they're very interested in like exploring the world and seeing what there is to find like there's so many mysteries in this world that they they grew up in not knowing because they're such a uh, they come from such a short-lived race that like the the all the calamities and things were they're way in the past and yet there's so much unknown about what happened and what's still out there that hasn't been discovered that it's very much about discovery but i'm also discovering that marcel has a very strong self-preservation streak in terms of how curious or how how far do i let curiosity lead me Unless danger happens, apparently, because then he just, they just, you know, I'm going to grab this thing that might kill me. Um, and then shocking grasp it, because that would be great. <laughs> I think uh, Axley and, I think Axley in particular also has a very, um, I like trinkets-driven kind of personality, right? Like if if Axley was, if that was a room full of gold coins or different coins from different realms, Axley would be, I think, filling his pockets and like that, right? <laughs> I, I'm more interested in the lore and the history of it, the story behind it, than actually okay. wealth. Yeah, the wealth doesn't really intrigue me because I think the most valuable thing is the searching of, for the unknown and the uncovering of of new information and discovery. So that's what intrigues me. I think I've reached a point though where I, I'm struggling with the mechanics of the game now with like, because now that we're reaching these levels quickly, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm falling behind in understanding the mechanics and being able to, you know, uh, use them effectively because mm -hmm. uh, we, we're getting we get a whole plate full of new abilities and stats and feats and actions and stuff and so it's kind of like whoa what do i do with all these and then there's right. more before i can figure what to do with what i have yeah so um i mean you're level four now and that means you hit uh what 2700 xp or no is that yeah 2700 xp right and you don't hit level five until I think sixty five hundred. Yeah, so you just hit you just hit twenty seven hundred. You're over twenty seven hundred. 
level five is a big bump because it increases your proficiency. So it's way up at 6,500. So you're a little bit away from fifth level now. So I think at least I'm, I, I'm hoping that you'll have a little bit of time to settle into, into Axley a little bit more. Um, I think, uh, I think maybe what what you should do, and I can actually help you with this if you want me to, is make a sort of cheat sheet of, you know, in this type of situation, here is what Axley would be likely to do, right? Like some sometimes it's a it's a decision about well would Axley be more likely to cast a spell or would he be more likely to run up to the thing, right? Or if he's standing next to the item, is he going to do self preservation and leave, or is he going to stay there and maybe get attacked next turn or something? You know what I mean? Um, and it's possible to pick out maybe four or five typical situations. And maybe think ahead of time about, well, here's what actually has the capability of doing in combat. And here are kind of the, his four basic things he does if he's in a combat. And here's what he would do if he's facing a foe, not in combat, but in some kind of a social situation. And here's what he, you know what I'm saying? Like, sort of think of it in terms of try to pick what four things Axley would do. And the reason I'm picking four is because in general, in fifth edition, combats last about four rounds. In fact, that combat we just had was four rounds. And I found through, uh, at least at these lower levels, that's pretty much what combats are going to be. So if you, if you think about what your character could be doing, think about it in terms of, okay, there's going to be about four rounds of combat. I'm going to probably get four, maybe five turns. And then look at the mechanics about what, what, what does actually have available to him? You know what I mean? And that might be a way to sort of, you know, you and I can actually talk uh, maybe on Discord or we can talk through email about like how certain parts of the mechanics of the game work for your specific character. I have no problem doing that and sitting down with you and doing that. So, because um, I don't want you to feel like you're lacking in making good choices because the mechanics are unclear. That's that's not a fun position to be in. Even if you're having fun in the session, it feels like it's not a fun position to be in. So maybe we should plan on sitting down and doing that at some point in the next two weeks. Because um, I'm certainly not like taking advantage of bonus actions mm-hmm. or anything like that. I hadn't even thought about that up until it being mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I also have kind of a... I like having like printed like spells. So like mm-hmm. I have my cantrips and my first level spells and I have like what I can cast as a bonus action and what mm-hmm. I can cast as a first level spell, what I can cast as just so I have it a little bit more readily available and I can go, mm-hmm. oh, okay, this is a 10 foot diameter. This is a one D eight damage plus proficiency. Like just have it a little bit more simplified. So you don't have to like continuously go through your spells and like read through it and get kind of encumbered by all of the words, just put 1d8 plus proficiency, roll attack, bonus action, just little key phrases so that you can Mm -hmm. just kind of page through and be like, oh, this is a good 
option for the situation. Uh, that's mm -hmm. kind of where I like having my little papers and my organization a little bit. Mm -hmm. And note cards work too. I've seen people with like little note cards where they write all of their stuff on that as yeah. well. Cool. So if you like that. Yeah, some of it is really just getting comfortable with what the what the powers actually do or what the spells actually do. And it's it's difficult, I think, sometimes for someone who's new to the system because, you know, when you read some of these spell descriptions, it's like, you know, five paragraphs. And right. Phantasmal Force is a, it's, its own encyclopedia. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it's like, and so how spell do you look spell. at, you know, when you're trying to make a decision about what you're doing for for a turn and you're trying to be fast because you don't want to feel like you're holding everybody up and and it's like oh god i gotta you know i i'm not i don't really remember how i don't know if the spell will work and then i gotta read like five paragraphs and i understand it can feel really overwhelming so um maybe we should sit down and and do that and sort of look at okay here are the things that based on your characterization and based on what how you are playing the character, here's most likely what he is going to do in a given situation uh, and kind of make a little cheat sheet, character sheet for you. Okay. Nina, you said you wanted to wait until last because you had a follow-up question with something. I did. Did Konos answer the question? Uh, not yet. Uh, oh, so sorry, Konos. Me, I skipped sorry. that. <laughs> sorry, sorry, yeah. So for me, I mean, mechanically, I'm, I mean, I'm still getting the sense of like kind of how the warlock works. I mean, to with what you're talking with actually, as far as combat actions, that's one nice thing about this. This being a, like a more simple class, but because when combat breaks out, there's generally one thing I do, and that's can do, and that's cast Elder's Blast. So I don't have to worry too much about uh, okay, like going through five different stacks of things as far as what's the most effective, because I generally know what it's going to be. Um, as far as like the character, um, I'm I'm finding myself kind of in an interesting place because I tend to be be a little bit more cautious and self-preservation minded, um, but I'm playing a character with a, with a wisdom of eight, so I'm trying to portray portray that as someone as somewhat naive and maybe throw a little more throw caution to the wind. So I know there will probably be times when I will my my preservate my. My personal preservation instinct as a player will that maybe override the character and what the character might do. Um, so I'll, that'll be something I'll have to watch for. As far as where the character is going, I think this, the thing that still excites me most is kind of like the this the journey and the path that he's on as far as the like exploration, finding out mysteries, and I think at some point, at some point, there's probably going to come a point where there's potentially. I don't know if there's going to be necessarily conflict as far as what his patron wants, but just kind of the sense of what the patron wants versus what he wants and how those two, whether they're, how those two kind of interplay and whether they cause conflict for himself and everyone else, or they kind of are more, more like copacetic and more kind of, you know, in sync with what each one wants. And that's actually a wonderful segue into my question. I'll answer <laughs> the question first though. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still getting the hang of, like, the player aspect, the mechanics, like, um, just generally planning out what I want to do, how I want to do it, um, that kind of thing. Um, but it's it's coming along. So I, I personally feel relatively comfortable um, with the mechanics so far. Um, but as far as my character, she's definitely not going the direction I thought but I don't think I mind um you know it, it 
that's still the part that's kind of coming to me, the whole role-playing, developing the character, that kind of thing. Um, but I liked that she does have like a little bit of an impatient streak. Um, she kind of wants to do what she wants to do and she wants to, okay, let's, let's do it. Come on. Um, so I think that's really interesting, but generally she is like a very structured person, um, likes a routine, likes, a, a plan. This is what we're doing. Um, which is relatively close to home. I like having, I like feeling in control. Like I have control of the situation. There's a plan, there's a structure to it. So that is, um, a really interesting point that you're playing, um, Matt, that you're playing a character that's a little bit different from yourself. Um, that's a little bit more, not as cautious, not as a little bit more um, aggressive, I suppose. Um, but that leads into my question, um, all four of you actually, uh, when you do get a chance to play, do you tend to play a character that is more like yourself or something that's a little bit different or a little bit of both? So can I, before anybody answers, I just want to say that the way I pictured that whole scene there at the end with Imran going and, and finally bashing the thing's face in, I pictured it like she was there and then everybody kind of like started taking off and she looked around and said, oh, you're all leaving? Oh, fine, I'll take care of it. And <laughs> sort of went over <laughs> and did the the killing blow, you know, uh, as a... Die right now, we gotta go. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm not leaving till I finish this task, you know. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> who wants to answer that question about whether you play a character that's like yourself or different from yourself? That's well, a really I good question. In by general, the way. I, I probably am not as advanced a role player to the point where I could I could very comfortably take on a character that's significantly different. Like I think what I do is I'll take a, I'll take one specific character aspect or trait that might be a little different, and then I'll focus on that as a primary. But like for example, I I think I'd have a real difficult time playing a character that was like a total bastard, right? That like is out there to just screw everyone over and selfishly take care of themselves. That I think I have a hard time doing that full time. So like if I were doing like an NPC or a one-off or something, maybe I'd have a better chance of doing that. But if for a long-term character, I think I'd find that pretty difficult. So I think I stick fairly close, but I'll focus on one specific aspect of the character that I want to explore that'd be fun. That's a, that's a different exploration from my own personality. I'm kind of the same as far as when I want, like, if I make a character, I'll try to say, focus on maybe one or two particular traits of the, of the character. Say, so, okay, I, I maybe I want to play a character who's like really academic and studious, or maybe I want to uh, play someone who's going to be kind of more like mysterious and whatnot. Um, I know in general, I like, but my general theory is, you know, I is I like to play like kind of more support support type characters, clerics and bards, because my general theory is, I have like I'm I'm hap I'm the most happy one that everyone's kind of up and having fun and on their feet and alive. So whatever I can do to enable that is generally good. This is a little bit of a break from that, um, so I'm sort of stretching my own legs with that as far yeah. as the character goes. I probably have. Perhaps with the exception of Sam, uh, probably the most experience in terms of role-playing and not just role-playing D&D, but before, um, when I was starting, I'd say in high school, before that I was just a writer. I would write stories. So you have to have like a lot of characters for that. And I've been writing since I could actually put words together. Um, I think my first 
uh, mini story was when I was in third grade and wow. uh, um, I actually still have it. And it is a complete ripoff of Dumbo. Um, <laughs> <it's amazing>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after writing and, and finding out that the internet was a thing, I started joining text role play um, groups. So I have made hundreds, if not thousands of characters since. So I have a lot of like experience putting myself in different mentalities for different kind of characters, which kind of helps. That's basically why when we started playing D&D and everyone was like, well, we need a DM. I was like, all right, I'll be the DM. Because <laughs> as, as a DM, you kind of have to make a lot of different characters for NPCs and stuff. Um, but when it comes to playing, I do notice that, especially when it comes to playing tabletop, I tend to like playing the more leaderly characters. And because I play with a lot of people that tend to be more of the follower type that works out, um, I decided not to do that with this group and Marcel, mainly because I know that when I start playing a leaderly type, everyone kind of just follows and doesn't necessarily start thinking on their own. Um, and I like giving everyone the uh, <laughs> chance to think up a plan. Um, oh, and I could be guilty of that from time to time. Yeah. So <laughs> the first time I started actually playing a game and not DMing, I actually made a character who had a six intelligence <laughs> and was basically, yeah, I'll, I'll do what you guys say. Um, I'm not very smart myself. So to give them the force them to do all the thinking instead of and I would just pipe in if they were struggling or something but Marcella is kind of like a middle ground in that term yeah. um they're they can absolutely think for themselves and everything but they're okay letting others lead the way besides just, you know I'd rather not be in the front <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. still every character you make will have something from you like they're not entirely unless you try to go di directly for everything opposite but even then it's kind of impossible to make a character that doesn't reflect some facet of yourself it's more like how different are they but they're still going to have something that probably resonates with how some part of your own personality yeah that's a good point because the thing is if you try to go totally opposite of everything that you conceive of yourself, right? So there, there's two issues here. The first issue is um, how you think you are is often very different from how other people think you are, right? And so when you when you think of yourself, you're thinking of this one sort of thing. And then if you try to do the opposite of all of that, you're doing the opposite. You're you're doing a conception of, of your own thought about what the opposite of yourself would be, and there's a couple of problems that you run into with role playing like that. Number one, no matter where you go, there you are. You can't get away from yourself. You're always going to have a part of you, right? But number two, most of the time, the goal is not to play an evil character. So if you consider yourself generally good, it's impossible to play a character that's the exact opposite of that. You have to play something off to the side, parallel. You can't really play the opposite because you're not going to be a completely evil bastard. Yeah. Um, I agree. I mean, I, I, it's why I almost never play rogue. Just kind of like I'm, I really, you know, I would have a hard time really fitting into that kind of more antisocial, criminal esque mindset uh, as, as far as role playing. That would just not yeah. come naturally to me. 
Yeah. And that's that's still limiting your options with a thief. There are so many different types of thieves. We've had thieves in our group and I think only No. I don't think any of them were anti the antisocial type. They just had we've had some kleptos, but yeah. In terms of like personality, they've been very interesting in terms of like showing variety in what you can do with a thief type character. Like they don't even have to be a thief because rogue is is much broader than just stealing things. Mm-hmm. They can be a con artist. They can be more the yeah. assassin type. Or they can be a Robin Hood that's really a, a sort yeah. of altruistic. They don't take things for themselves. They take them for others. They can be a scout. Yeah. True. <laughs> Actually, the the one like I I I I like to if I'm when I'm bored or just have time like I'll just like try to just create a character personality or character type one of the top ones i've come i've done a couple rogues one of the top ones i always come back to is a kenku rogue named chime that i was inspired by uh uh lauren urban uh um she did a one she did like a little mini series and she had a bunch of npcs they're all kenku bards um and they're all and they're all acting as messengers i'm like okay this is the character that's like basically he will be a courier um and he will just deliver messages in other people's voices and that'll be a shtick and he'll probably be an arcane trickster or something like that and he'll probably spend most of his time in jail because he'll you know spend too much time swimming in the fountains because he thinks they're giant bird baths he'll always be be getting arrested for public indecency or something like that (laughs) yeah i think in general you know it depends for me on the game whether i play someone that i think is like myself or different from myself like for example in karu's game i'm playing a bard that is really sort of boisterous and kind of full of himself, but also yep. really insecure. And he talks really loud and he, you know, um, he, he says these things that he thinks are supposed to be impressive, but everybody can tell he's just trying too hard. And that's not really me how I am now, but there is a portion of me that probably used to be a little bit like that, although not as exaggerated. So I think, I think part of the fun thing about role-playing is... And part of the fun thing about being a DM is I get to take a bunch of little characters and I can take just a little seed of a piece of either me now or how I think of myself, how I was in the past or how I think maybe I might be in the future. And I can expand that out and use a bunch of hyperbole and exaggeration and create a, a, a character, an NPC that is um, relatable but at the same time, not the same as myself or, or anyone I know, right? Or I can create an NPC that's based on people that I know in real life, but because it's exaggerated or changed in some fundamental way, it still feels like a real person or like a real individual, but yet it's not a real person. I think one important thing that happens when you're making characters in general is that you start with an archetype of some kind of like a, like you said a seed of, of of a personality and then you sort of let it develop for the story and it's kind of fun seeing how it develops cuz oftentimes a character will go their own way and you have no control over that you mm-hmm. you put the seed there you planted the seed but you have no control over the tree that happens to grow out of that seed right and and that's kind of why like you can't it's never going to be as nuanced as a real person. And that's a good thing because it means you can, like you said, grab something either 
a, an, a, an archetype that kind of reminds you of certain person or even someone from a, a store, a, a movie or something. And it's still going to be a very distinctly unique character. And the other thing that's really fun about role playing that happens to me all the time and used to drive me crazy, but that was because I was young and dumb, is that when something happens to say an NPC or or to a PC, a lot of times as the DM, that character has to change based on what the other players are doing, right? So like I used to have this almost kind of one-dimensional idea of these NPCs. Okay, I'm playing this NPC. Here's their goal. Here's their name. Here's what they look like. Boom, there they are. But then when they're interacting with the characters, of course, they're interacting based on what the characters are doing and what the situation in the actual game world is and what's happening. They don't just stay a very paper-thin item sometimes. And it used to drive me crazy if I just had a very small, very, uh, you know, short idea, right? Or very, very non, a very shallow idea of what that NPC was. It would drive me crazy if the, if the players all of a sudden latched onto that NPC and they like, they love that NPC. And now, now I feel like, oh crap, I got to like make a whole world for this NPC. They have to have a whole life so that they don't seem paper thin and one dimensional. And then at other times I would create these NPCs and I'd be like, oh, this is going to be great. The characters, you know, the players are going to love it and they're going to interact and they're going to want to know all about this. And I've got all this whole story. And then they're like, they meet the person and then that's it. They're done. They, we never see that person in the campaign again. <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, and, and, you know, now, now I know now after years of doing this, I know that's just typical, right? That's just what happens. And the skill in being the DM is, is playing off of what the characters are doing, playing off of what the, what the party is actually doing. And if that means I have to expand an NPC out a, a little bit more than I had initially, then I do that. And it's not a big deal. It doesn't drive me crazy anymore. And part of the reason it doesn't drive me crazy is because of what Karu said earlier about archetypes. If I have a specific archetype or a specific like movie character or something like a, my wife and I just uh, last night, we watched um, The Color Purple. And it's been like 20 years since I've seen that movie, but it's like such a great movie and it has all of these great characters in it. And I immediately started thinking about, oh, that character right there would be a perfect character to be one of the NPCs in this place that I think you guys are going to end up going to at some point. Like, I know exactly. And so when you all, when your PCs meet that character in the game, I have a really good idea of what that, who that person is, what that character is about but it's still very shallow until you start bouncing off of it and now I have to make it deeper, right? And so sometimes actually for me, going from that role doing that and sometimes just off the cuff doing a lot of that during the actual session, it's easier for me to do that, but then it's sometimes harder for me to do that with a character that I'm playing as a player because I'm so used to having a kind of one basic idea. And then it takes me a few levels before I really feel like, okay, am I really going to dig into this character that I'm, that I'm playing as a PC? It's, it's, it's uh, more difficult for me, I think, than, than it used to be at least. And maybe that's a lot of different factors, but who knows? That was a great question, Nina. Thank you. <laughs> um, does anybody else have anything? No, I think, I think we're good. Awesome. Everybody say bye. <laughs> Thank you for bye. watching. We appreciate it. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show and we will see you later. Bye.